Recycling is great, right? But honestly, it's the end of the line. It's at the bottom of the waste pyramid. And there are so many layers above recycling that should really happen first. And the great thing about all those other layers for businesses is a lot of them are completely free. And that's what Stacy Savage, the CEO of Zero Waste Strategies, focuses on and helps businesses with. Finding ways for companies to reduce their waste and connect the two ends of their linear economy into a circle. And if we implement this everywhere, just imagine what things would look like and how things would be different when we have a circular economy. So make sure you check out this entire interview to see how Stacy makes that happen for her clients. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Stacey, do you mind telling me a bit about Zero Waste Strategies and what you guys do? Yeah, I'm Stacey Savage. I'm the founder and CEO of Zero Waste Strategies. We're an environmental consulting firm based near Austin, Texas, and we specialize in zero waste and circular economy business protocols. So what that means is that we work with companies and local governments, nonprofits, institutions to help them use their waste reduction strategies in order to increase revenue, deepen their customer loyalty, empower their employees internally, as well as to drive a green marketing edge over the competition in their industry. I love it. I love it. That's really awesome. And I love how you mentioned the green marketing edge. What is that green marketing edge? Let's face it. A lot of businesses are finally starting to understand that having sustainability capacity and strategies for effective change within their business operations and externally, such as, let's say, packaging or the way that things are transported to the consumer at the shelves in the store, they're starting to understand they may become irrelevant in their industry if they don't put something in place that is actionable, that they can market to bring in a new customer base. So a study has found that Gen X, Millennial, and Gen Z groups of the population here in America bring annually a collective $46 billion worth of buying power to the table in our economy. And a lot of those buying decisions within those populations rest upon sustainability measures. And so these buyers are very savvy, the companies that they're spending their dollars with, and they're basically voting with their dollar. They're saying, I'm going to support this company in this industry niche over this one because of the way that they are operating internally and the way that they are marketing that to me. Now, if you get caught greenwashing, which we like to say greenwashing is saying one thing and doing another when it comes to environmental sustainability within your operations, you're going to get found out and you will get called out on social media by these younger generations. So it's really important that if you do have aspirations to move into the green 
business operations realm and take your company up to the next level of operation by really maximizing and optimizing and reducing waste within your internal structure, then you could have a pretty large windfall when it comes to gaining a new customer base that is really savvy around these issues and care deeply and will show that with their dollar, where they spend their dollar. Yeah, definitely. It's because you know, these generations, they've been taught since they were very young that we need to care about the environment. We need to think about sustainable options because we have learned time and time again, because that's what they teach us in school, that they are these so many examples examples of how we didn't do that in the past. And now they are complete wastelands or there's these resources are just almost dried up and gone and we're not going to be able to use those anymore. And we go through these, these periods where like the fisheries collapse and we learn about the cod fisheries collapsing and all of that kind of stuff. This, these are examples that continually are taught and we understand the implications of those things. And so we're understanding that, hey, businesses need to consider that. And we're more likely to support a business that is actually doing that and be able to communicate effectively what they are doing. And also to make sure that what they are doing, they have to be strategic and knowledgeable about what they are choosing to do because you can't just say, oh, hey, they don't want plastic. So let me do this other thing that gets rid of the plastic, but then it's actually having a 10 times worse impact on the environment because mm -hmm. you're taking twice as many resources and all this other stuff. So you really got to consider what is greenwashing and also knowing that there is accidental greenwashing as well. Oh crap. Like we didn't, we were just trying to listen to the market, but we need to also consider what is actually good for the environment. What is going to be a green option is a huge part of it too, because people will find you out, like you said, <laughs> like people will find out and they'll yeah. understand. You will be exposed. You'll be exposed. Yeah. And a lot of the time that really plummets your relevancy in your industry. And it really shows that, uh, that there was a lack of integrity in mm -hmm. your business structure and the mm -hmm. way that you're communicating to your consumers and there was a, another study that had come out a couple of years back that's out of 6,000 people that were interviewed and surveyed globally, 84% of them said, yes, I will spend a little extra money on a product that I know was manufactured in a responsible way. And whether that means manufactured with materials that are ready to be recycled into new materials, like in, in a reuse capacity or repurposing or upstream in the supply chain. We're making sure that there's no child labor or that there's no destruction of our critical rainforests. Even downstream, do these companies have a take back program like for electronics that are big and bulky and contain mercury and lead and arsenic and just don't belong in the county landfill down the road, it belongs in the hands back to the manufacturer for responsible recycling for their consumers for free. That is the upstream, the downstream. And if you think about it, they're for every one pound of waste that we roll out in our bins out to the curbside or put in a dumpster, the statistic is 71 pounds of upstream materials and transportation costs and climate change gases were produced in order to have that one pound of waste end up in your trash. Oh, man. That... So it's what we call the waste. It's if you think about an iceberg and you just see the little tip, that's the piece that you put out at your curb. It's everything else below the water that is the real major issue and that comes with corporate production 
strategies and are they green? If not, that 71 pounds or the bottom of the wasteberg is the real, the real problem. Yeah, definitely. And I never knew that's insane. That's crazy. That just makes me really think about, oh, wow, how many, how much waste did I really produce? And you're thinking about, okay, in our family, we only put the trash out to the curb once every two weeks because we just don't go through that much trash because we also recycle. So we actually fill up our recycle bin a bunch, but then we have the trash bin doesn't really get Mm -hmm. too high, but still that's a lot. I know it's more than a pound. (laughs) That's for sure. So that's, wow. You can just extrapolate that per household or per person in an office building, what that might look like in the grand scheme of things. It's really pretty shocking. That's why we always promote reduce and reuse over recycling because recycling is the very bottom of the inverted waste pyramid. We've got your reduction. We've got your reuse repurposing, remanufacturing, refabrication. We've got repair, maintenance. We've got all of these re's in between reduce and reuse and then recycling at the bottom. If we can use all these at the top, recycling is where you usually have to pay money, but all these up at the top, they're usually free. So let's address all the the top pieces of that inverted triangle before we get to the bottom of the recycling hierarchy. Yeah, definitely. And that's what you help your clients do, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've been around since 2013. I went down one day to the county courthouse and dropped my $17 and got my DBA and we were off to the races. We started working with our first big contract with City of Austin. We had a couple of smaller ones in there, but working with City of Austin, we helped for three years. We helped the city implement the business recycling ordinance, which requires all commercial properties, no matter the size, to offer recycling. And for multifamily, like apartment complexes and condos, to also offer recycling if there's a certain unit or more, a certain number of units or more. And then the second phase of that ordinance was for food permitted businesses. Not only did food permitted businesses have to also recycle, they also had to divert their organic food waste from the back of the house in the kitchen prep area away from landfill. And they could have done, they can do that in many different ways, whether it's food waste reduction through your purchasing practices and to reduce spoilage before you get to use it in your recipes, because that way you're paying for it twice. It's coming in the box and then you let your tomatoes go to spoil and then you have to get rid of them. So you're paying for it twice because you had to pay for it to also get it hauled away. So there's optimizing your purchases and also food donation. Companies can donate legally to food distribution, nonprofit organizations, not just in Austin, but federally all over the country. Food permitted businesses are not legally held liable or responsible for food donations that they kept to proper time and temperature standards through their state health department's codes. So if you can demonstrate you have followed the codes and you do your donation, you keep a manifest of that. And guess what? You get a 15% tax write-off for the fair market value of what you donated back to your business. So it's a win-win, right? Helping City of Austin really implement those programs and helping businesses understand not only what their compliance factors were, but how to avoid fees and legal penalties from the code compliance department, making sure that they were in alignment with the code and that there was no deficiencies in what the ordinance says versus what they were actually doing. Our job was to help bring them into alignment with the ordinance standards and then help train their staff and that type of thing and get them all 
skilled up and educated. We've also worked with Dell, a Kohler, which is the bathroom fixture company, Nestle Purina. We did a large zero waste master plan for million square foot campus in St. Louis with 3,300 employees. So worked with some pretty big names, AT&T and like I said, City of Austin. It's really about helping them take a look at their operations. Where can we cut costs? Maybe it is consolidating the purchase agreement. Maybe it's taking a look at the hauler agreements, the contracts, and finding some wiggle room where we can save money by either reducing the disturbance space or reducing the weekly pickup frequency or combine them and do both and save even more. So the more that you're driving your trash reduction, the better you're going to see the bottom line, you're going to increase your revenue flows. That revenue can be used to offset the costs of any new programs like recycling and food waste composting. So it may not be a revenue generator, but you can definitely break even or even save cash. That's really great. How many businesses have you helped implement like the composting measure? I remember seeing that was really popular when I was in Portland, when I was visiting there, but I've never seen it anywhere else. So I was wondering like how much adoption there do you have? Every business is different. That means every business waste stream is different. And that means their materials, the composition of their materials is different from those that are down the street. So we have helped very large companies with large office complexes to, to do the food waste diversion and through a composting, but we always do the reduce, reuse, repurpose donation aspect first, because again, mm -hmm. composting is a fee service. And so if we can use all of these free service before we get to the fee service, then that's ideal. Definitely. And so we always take a, it helps us strategize around what can we donate instead of going to compost because you're legally protected. So we really have to sit down and do, well, I, not sit down, stand up and do a waste audit. And what that means is really we're up to our elbows for five, six hours in trash, picking Jeez. through bags. And we're really pulling out all the recyclables from the landfill trash that should have been recycled and that we missed because maybe there was an individual who the wrong action at the bin station, or they didn't know where to put the thing that's in their hands. And they just said, okay, I'm just going to trash it. So we always go through and we get that baseline measurement in order to see how much trash versus how much recycling versus how much food waste is in the waste stream. And then we can calculate how much could have been captured if the proper programs were in place like recycling and composting or food food diversion or food donation partnership with the local nonprofit. So we're able to really get down in nitty gritty details about the very granular levels of what we're finding in their waste stream. And uh, we draft a report and then we also do a tour of the entire facility. We look at their contracts, their purchasing provisions or the provisions in their purchasing contracts. We do their staff training for hundreds of people at a time and we make it fun. We gamify it. We have pop quizzes and we have fun activities to really make it stick the new information. So it's a lot of fun. We make talking trash fun because let's face it, talking trash, it ain't fun. It ain't sexy. <laughs> Nobody likes to talk about it and it goes away somewhere, but you have to think where's away. On a circular planet with finite resources, there's no such place as away. And so away typically means somebody else's backyard 
these big polluting landfills or in our ocean, unfortunately. So we really have to make it fun for people to really re-envision what the materials are that they have at their home and, and that the office to make sure they understand that there's an inherent market value. And those are materials. They're commodities. They're not trash. They're not valueless. They're very valuable. And when we put them back into the system to support the circular economy, we don't have a destructive extraction, linear economy anymore like we do right now. Currently, it's dig up the raw materials from the ground and refine them, process them, make them into a new product, get them transported across the country or across the ocean to store shelves for the consumers to buy. And then maybe six months later, it breaks. And so you have to repeat the process (laughs) as a consumer. But if we can take the two ends of those at that linear economy and connect them and make a loop. That's your circular economy. We keep feeding these material stocks back into the system so that we can recreate new products out of raw materials that have already been mined, refined, and transported. And we're making them into new products made from recyclable materials. So that's something that folks who are listening can do. Are the products that you're buying made from recycled materials? That's one thing that you can look at the packaging and they're usually going to tell you because they're usually very proud of it. Made with 10%, 50% recycled wood pulp for this big ream of office paper, you know, that, so that's just an example of what people can do in order to start paying attention to their home and office purchasing practices. It could help a lot. Yeah, definitely. The first step is always awareness. And I know you mentioned that you have been training the members of these companies as well. You have a new training course coming out, right? Yes, we have our six-week online training program for Zero Waste 101. It's a fast-paced little boot camp, if you will. It's really catered to entrepreneurs, corporate executives, and then also business managers as well. So it's perfect for people who own their own business or facilities maintenance teams, sustainability directors that don't quite have a full grasp on the zero waste aspect of business operation. Maybe they know a lot about energy and water conservation, but they're not quite sure on how to get started on the waste scheme and improving that at their business location. So we really go through a 101 where we talk about the basics, get you some good foundational knowledge. And then we build upon that. We talk about food waste diversion and all the different ways that you can do that, that are free. And then we also talk about how do you engage your employees? We just talked about making talking trash fun. I show you how to do that. So there's a three video program. We have those pop quizzes and we also have resources, educational resources, workbooks, checklists. You get one-on-one time with me personally for consult over the phone or Zoom. And then we've got a private LinkedIn group where these business proprietors can come in and brainstorm or they can ask questions or how did you handle this hard to recycle item at your facility? And we can do a lot of back and forth and exchange ideas and innovate within each industry niche. We've got, that's our tier one part of the training program. And then we have a tier two, which is a much deeper dive into things like how do you renegotiate your hauler contract? It gets down into the finer details of really saving money. So that's tier two. And then tier three is a done 
for you proposal to where we come out to your site and we do everything for you. We look at everything top to bottom, side to side, diagonally. We interview your staff, your key personnel. We do the training. We do the waste audit. We draft your master plan for your facilities. So it's really at what stage or what level the prospective client who wants to enroll where they want to start. You might have some strong knowledge already, but you really need to understand how do you renegotiate a hauler contract? Let me show you how to do that. We're going to get you started on tier two. I don't want to deal with any of it. It's all foreign to me. Can I fly your team out to our site in Alabama? Absolutely. We're there. So it just depends on what the customer wants, but it's very supportive. It's collaborative. And there's a lot of accountability around it. We don't want these topics to get to the back burner. That's the main thing that we find with businesses is they want to do this. They usually find that they're going to run into some bureaucratic red tape. And that red tape is what stops them or deflates the initiative for the program. Sometimes you've got the employees that are pushing from the ground up saying, why don't we have composting in our cafeteria? We have 4,000 employees and Think of all the food waste every day that's happening and that we're generating. And that kind of gets worked up to the executive suite, right? Sometimes it's the executive suite that forces down the mandate and says, all of our plants will be zero waste by XYZ date. Get to it. And that's whenever people call us and help. <laughs> yeah, that's when the plant goes, oh boy. So we find out what stage they're in and what program, what part of the program would fit them best. And we hold them by the hand and we walk them right through. And we're right there every step of the way with them because it can be daunting. Once it's all said and done, you get to market all of your efforts internally and you get to turn around and say, hey, shop with us. We're the ones that are doing this and this. You get to market that too in your job recruitment announcements as well. Think about the people, the talent that you could potentially attract for new employees that are really wanting to come on with a company that has a lot of integrity and green balance within their organizational structure. That could go a long way for employee retention. And then you've got internal cheerleaders that brag about your company because they're so proud to work there. So it really boosts morale as well. That's really what we're out for is to really help companies from the inside out. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And I know, so what would you say is one thing that somebody, whether they're either at a company or they are the entrepreneur, the owner of a company, what is like one thing they could do to get something started if they're not really sure where to go on this like zero waste journey? Yeah. What would you say is like one easy step to get their feet wet? First of all, call me. Right. I can walk you right through it. But <laughs> I would say that doing a visual waste audit every day of the week before your hauler comes and picks up your trash and really carrying around just a simple iPad with a spreadsheet or a simple pen and paper on a clipboard, but taking a look at how full your outdoor dumpsters are just before the hauler comes and picks them up. And what also is in the dumpster is unbroken down cardboard that's taking up all the room. Is it food waste? Can you smell something stinky in there? Is it recyclable items that people may have mishandled because you have a recycling bin right next to your trash bin and they just put it in the wrong bin. So you can do a visual waste audit. You can do a visual inspection of how full the dumpster is and what's in the dumpster before the hauler comes. And you track, literally track that on just a piece of paper. And then you can do your averages for the month. And then you can extrapolate that monthly average over to a 12 month span. 
And whenever you take a look at that, you're really doing your company and your site a favor because that gives you the data that you need to A, make sure that the hauler is actually picking all of the hauls that they say they would in your contract. Sometimes there are a lot of missed mm -hmm. hauls. I think one year there was one company in Houston missed six thousand hauls in a three-month period from their route of customers. They just, they couldn't account for it. So you're being charged for the hauls. 6,000 sure hauls that they, they actually, didn't do. Well, yeah, for based on the amount of companies that they serviced, it was not a huge amount, but just think about it. So got to make sure that all your hauls are happening. And then you want to make sure that the halls that are happening are maximized. You need to optimize the bin space. So if you're at 50% every time you're paying to cart air off your property and the hauler's like, cool with us. So because they're still getting paid. <laughs> exactly. This is whenever the, you, if you've got the data that you've been tracking, you can take a look at that and compare it to what your contract says versus what you're seeing. And granted around the holidays, it's always going to increase. So you might want to do it a couple of times a year, maybe quarterly, every quarter, do a month long analysis and do that for the year. But that would help you be able to figure out your averages and to make sure that your hauler contract is right-sized for your specific business needs at your site and that you're not overpaying for being over-serviced. So that's one thing that I would say that folks can do immediately. They can start today to start tracking their waste and the composition. That composition is going to let you know, do you need a recycling program? I'm going to probably say 90% of the time. Yep, you probably do. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to ask a few more questions here and wrap it up. What are you currently learning right now? I am, I've been in the zero waste and recycling and landfill space for over, for almost 20 years now. And as a business owner, it's very important to have established credentials. And not only can I have my past clients like Dell and Kohler and Unico Properties provide me with a testimonial that I can put on my website. It's also important for me to keep learning as a consultant to make sure that I've got access to and that I'm knowledgeable of all of the best practices from around the world. So I am actually next week going to be going to take the true zero waste assessor certification program. I've never had to be a certified zero waste consultant in order to get mm -hmm. these large contracts, but I really think that it is something that I need to do in order to keep the business integrity that we've already established to the highest level. And so when someone sees on my LinkedIn page, true advisor, they know that I've been through the rigorous training and the exam process and that I passed and I've got the certification to prove it and that you have no question that the best business practices are being used whenever you hire me to come out to your facility or you're enrolling in our program to, to do the online training, the six-week online training programs through tier one or tier two. Awesome. That's great. And who would be like the perfect partner business for you guys to work with? We typically work with larger companies. We've worked with medium-sized companies to be able to partner. I love working with institutions like college campuses and college campuses really have a student-driven Green initiative 
at most places. And so if you've got fee paying students demanding from the faculty, staff, employees, and the administration that there should be a green program, it really goes a long way in establishing the reasons and benefits of why. And it helps the university, the campus actually market that and to attract students who really care about these sustainability issues as well, because they are in lockstep with these zero waste and other sustainability protocols. And they're marketing that. They're putting it out there. They're saying, we're a green campus. Come on in. We'd love to have you. And they can build out their student base as well. They can really attract the brightest in the industry of for faculty and staff as well, who really care about these initiatives. So I really love working with college campuses and because they also produce food waste. So we can attack all of the issues, we can really address reducing the landfill trash stream. We can make sure that the recycling program is locked in and it's solid. And we can also introduce and implement the food waste organics at the food court or the student mall, whatever you call it, the cafeteria area. So we can really address food waste in the back of the house and educate the students on how they can divert for recycling and food waste whenever they're just walking around campus or they're going into a building. So that's for me has been really cool because the students, because they pay fees, have a large say in, in what goes on and how the policies are drafted and administered. Yeah, that's awesome. And if one of these the university or colleges is looking mm-hmm. for somebody to consult with. How can they reach out to you, get in touch with you, and learn more about what you guys do? Yeah, my phone number is 512-693-7677. Folks can also reach out to me on LinkedIn, just Stacy Savage. And then I've also got several business pages on social media for zero waste strategies, but probably the easiest is our contact form on the website, which is zerowaste.org. And it's the digit zero, not the word zero. It's the number W-A-S-T-E dot org. Perfect. And I'll include all of that in the show notes and description below so that you. you have easy access to it. And for this last question here, with your experience in running a green business, what is one tip that you would give another green business owner who's looking to grow their green business? What is one tip that you would give them? I would say, say yes to every opportunity that comes through. If you're just starting out, say yes. Even though you don't know what you're doing, you're going to have to figure it out along the way at some point. So you might as well get paid for it while you're doing that. The thing is, and this is how I started my business, is I would say yes to contracts, even though I wasn't exactly sure how I would put a program into place for a particular company or campus, or I'm not sure about this or that. But what I did was I brought in subcontractors And those subcontractors, on paper, my company is leading the program, but behind the scenes, the subcontractors were my elders in the field, and they've been doing this for decades. And so I brought very knowledgeable people onto my team, and they helped me build the program and I was getting training on the job. And so it built my knowledge base it built credibility for my company. And it really helped make sure that we provided quality customer service and that we delivered on the things to the client that we said we were going to do. I wouldn't have been able to do it alone, or if I was going to do it alone, it was going to be a lot longer than what it 
should have taken. But yeah, as long as you can get your ego out of the way and you're open to learning from people who have already done this before you, bring them onto your team. Yeah, you might have to split your fees and you may have a reduction in your hourly rate or whatnot, but think about what you're getting in return. So you're learning how to do the things that you're going to be contracted in the future to do for other companies, but you learned from the best. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for that tip. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Really yeah. appreciate it. And if you enjoyed learning about how Stacy is helping companies go zero waste and creating a circular economy, I invite you to check out this interview with Connor Bryant from the rubbish project who is also focused around bringing awareness to the circular economy and he brings up one of my favorite examples of greenwashing why we really need to consider any green initiative and really look into it and see what's happening all along the process and whether that actually is a good initiative to go by not just implementing what you think your customer wants Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.